Well, good morning. Good morning. Oh, that's so sweet to my ears. I know that that's got to be sweet to God's ears. Let's stand, rise, praise our God. He is so good to us. Amen. Let us lift our voices, praise him. Just let him uh, enter our hearts. Whatever you're dealing with right now, let it go and let his power and his word enter. Heart is my home. 
Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 says, Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us. Uh, thank you for uh, letting us know you. Uh, thank you for this body of believers that we can come and proudly proclaim that we love you. Lord, I ask you to take this time that we have, allow us to uh, lift you up, allow us to put away some of the, the worries and distractions in our life. God, thank you for uh, letting us just be here. Thank you for loving us. Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, good morning, family. I love air conditioning. I'm sitting here in the air, it's just kind of blowing on. It makes me so happy. Hey, if you are watching online, you are missing out. I think First Christian Church has the best air conditioning I've ever felt. <laughs> makes me so happy. Amen. I'm glad here to be worshiping God. Man, I'm glad to worship this, you know, that's sitting in worship with the air conditioning blowing on me too. Woo, that makes church nice. Hey, we're glad you're here. Uh, sometime during the service, will you fill out that connection card? If you're watching online, we're glad you are here. Uh, fill it, take some time, fill it out. Uh, otherwise, we came to praise God. Let's, let's do that. Through every battle, through every heartbreak, through every circumstance, Stay long I believe you are the way. 
my fears and doubts They can all come to Because they can't stay has given us that we should be called God's children, and we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him.
hypocrisy, uh, detest evil, cling to what is good, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters, take the lead in honoring one another. It's the only thing that ever really 
you won't be denied. I felt every teardrop when in darkness you cried, and I strove to remind you that for those tears I died. Jesus, I give you my heart and my soul. I know that without God, I'd never be whole. Savior, you opened all the right doors, and I thank you and praise you from earth's humble shores. Take me, I'm yours. And Jesus said, come to the water, stand by my side. I know you are thirsty, you won't be denied. I felt every teardrop when in darkness you cried. And I strove to remind you that for those tears I died. Thank you, Kim. What a beautiful song. Man, I love, I love air conditioning. I can't say it enough. I was at a small church, and I didn't have air conditioning at my house, so in the really bad summer days after I'd preach, I'd get real tired, and I would go upstairs, and the youth room was lined with couches, and I would turn the AC on nice and cool, and I would take a quick nap. And there was more than once that I would wake up, and I was surrounded by people sleeping, they came looking for me, and then they saw me sleeping, so they slept beside me, and then someone else came in, and they, they saw the other people sleeping. So it, first time, it was really unusual waking up and looking around, and the whole room's full of snoring teenagers and, and other people. Whew, I, love, I love AC. You know, I, if you've been with us, we've been talking about this, this church in Ephesus, and, and I'm, I'm going to warn you. If you have been um, in a church at any length of time, if, if you have said, hey, I, I'm following Jesus, I, I give my life, I got bad news for you, family. Uh, this is written to you. This is written to the church. So, you know, we know, we know a lot of the church, the things in the Bible are written in different directions. For instance, the Gospels are, are typically written, and people get introduced to Jesus, the life, the ministry. Uh, other parts in the Old Testament are wisdom literature, and it's, it's breaking down how you should live. There's history in the scriptures, and it's discussing how we got from there to here. But the problem is today, if you have been to the church for any length of time, I'm sorry, but you can't tune this out because this is directly written to you. So you are stuck. You have to listen. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, and to, to test your, your church knowledge Connie's going to be my, my subject over here. Connie, I got, I got some questions for you to check how good you are with your, your church information. You ready for this, Connie? Javen, you can't answer. Connie, why do melons have to get married in the church? Because they can't elope. 
Connie, Connie, what do you call a book club that gets stuck on the same book for years? The church. All right, last one. Connie, what do preachers say to get insects out of their building? Let us spray. There are a lot of church jokes. Why? Because church is a, is a pretty common, common topic in life. And uh, when we jump into this, this book in Ephesians, this is written by Paul to the church. So this is to us. Um, hey, if you're watching online, you're part of the church. Even though you're home right now, if you have said, hey, I'm a, a baptized believer, I'm following Jesus Christ, even though you're away from the building, this is written to you. You, you can't turn this off. So don't judge me here. My contacts are, are orbiting my eye. So if I stumble through some of the words, I apologize. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read the entire chunk, but not, not all at once, and we're not going to repeat it. So Ephesians chapter 2, let's read together, starting in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up, raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing it is the gift of God not a result of works so that one may boast no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This, this passage is really unusual, and it's, it's written to the church, and it's, it's, almost like, it's almost like as soon as Paul started getting in this, he started almost ranting at people. This is almost a rant in my perspective of Paul. We know that he was in jail, so here he is, he's writing this letter to these, these believers, and if you if you know something's going on, there's something really clear going on. And what it is, is it's our very first point. It's, it's essentially saying it's grace to the sinful. So he, he talks in this very first part, he's ranting about people that were once dead in their sins, once living by their flesh, um, once they were disobedient, now they're saved by grace. So what he's doing is really is, is a very easy, blatant reminder of what was going on, and that is simply grace to the sinful. That's it. And the problem is, is what he was writing to then, there's no easy way to say it. It's really similar to what was going on now. So the question has to be asked, why did Paul go on this very unusual rant to believers about the fact that they were once dead in sin and now they're alive in Christ by Jesus' grace. Why is written right there? Just a, a very, very small blurb in verse 11. It says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. 
So what we have here is, is something going on, and, and Paul was hinting towards it without being really specific. See, we know that if we studied Scripture, there were essentially two groups of people. There were the Hebrews, or the Israelites, and then on the other side, there was everyone else. And so really, there were the Jews, and then the Gentiles, which was everyone else. And so what was going on here that Paul was writing is we had the Jews, and many of the Jewish people said, yes, this is the Messiah, I'm going to follow Jesus. And then all of a sudden, on the other side, there were a lot of these Gentiles, non-Jewish people. And these Gentiles, these non-Jewish people, a lot of them were saying, yeah, okay, I, I've heard about this Jesus, I believe in him, I'm going to be baptized, I'm going to follow him. And the problem was the Jews looked over here at this new group of believers and said, okay, you've, you've been baptized, now you've got to get circumcised. And so there was this division forming in the, in the groups, in the church, that the Jews were looking at this body of believers over here saying, okay, you've heard about Jesus, here's the next step. And you know, family, I'm going to be honest, we, we do that a lot now. We do that. There's always one or two in every, in every church, and they're no fun. They ruin my fun. But I believe that oftentimes we come to church and we, we formulate this idea in our head and we look at someone and say, okay, you found Jesus, here's your next step. And whatever it is, we fill it in, dot, 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 according to what we perceive as their sin that we think they need to fix. And see, we each have that. And let me, let me point this out. If you don't know what yours is, I want you to think of this. Just think quietly. Don't say it out loud because it's going to be really awkward. Is there a sin that someone could be dealing with that you would rather not sit beside them in church? That would be the sin that, see, the Jews looked at these Gentiles and said, okay, you're doing good, but your sin is you're not circumcised, so you need to get that fixed. That was what they were perceiving this other group of believers need to work on. So what is that sin that we look at others and say, that's the sin you need to work on? See, I've got, I've got a couple. And normally, in my, in my good humor, I would, I would tell people what it is, but I, I can't. Because if I said the sin that I would struggle with in someone else, if I said that, someone might be listening, and I, I know there are people that deal with this, they would say, uh-oh, the guy on stage said, this is a sin, and that means my sin is worse than other sins. So I can't do that. So let me, let, me, let me make it a little easier. Let me, let me tell you my biggest pet peeve. I, I can't stand when people spit their chewing gum on sidewalks. I can't stand it. It makes me so angry. Uh, it, it always goes in the same spot. It's always my left shoe, and it always goes right here in the, the crook of my foot, that spot where you can't really work it out because the shoe's bent. So you get that, that gum right in that, that sweet spot where you can't get it out, and you have to get a stick and touch someone else's chewed-up saliva on your... I, I hate chewed gum. Now imagine, if you will, that in Scripture, in Genesis chapter 28, it says, Thou shalt not spittest thy gum on thy sidewalk. So if that's the case, I would say, in church, I would say, all right, now... You're following Jesus, but you've got to work on this sin of spitting gum out. So I can say that as a joke, because it's not serious. But we, we secretly do this. We do this all the time. See, we, we come to church just like the Jews were over here looking at the Gentiles saying, okay, you're following Jesus, but here's what you need to work on next. And we do that all the time. And I, I don't know, there's, there's, this, there's a scripture I vaguely remember reading, and it's, 
something like Jesus said something about taking the plank out of your own eye before you worry about the splinter in your neighbor, something, something like that. It sounds vaguely familiar, but we do that all the time. You know why we do that? Because it's always easier to look at someone else and say, this is what you need to work on than saying to ourselves, this is what we need to work on. Imagine this, if you will. Imagine, imagine how fun it would be coming to church and your neighbors get to decide what's holy and sanctified in your life. Wouldn't that be fun? Wouldn't that be fun knowing that you had to come to church and you, you had to appease and please the person sitting beside you? That'd be fun, wouldn't it? Oh, wait. We kind of do that now. We kind of do that now. See, this idea that when, when Paul starts ranting about being sinful and that you're, you're bought by grace, I think he's very, very clearly reminding this body of believers saying, hey, you were all sinners. You were all sinners and you were bought by the grace of Jesus. And he's reminding us that we need to have grace to the sinful. I can say with a fair amount of certainty, the biggest problems I have had in all my years of ministry have come from when someone has realized that I am not perfect. When someone has come to the realization that I am not perfect has led to all sorts of problems in my ministry. And I want to say, I've never claimed to be perfect. When someone realizes I'm not some mystical saint, that I'm a human being, I've had some serious issues with that. And some of the biggest problems I've seen in church has come from the realization that the people that you are sitting beside are not perfect. It has led to so many issues and dramas and struggles when you realize that the person you're sitting beside is not perfect. And I, I know you've heard it before, and I know we've said it before, but that statement about I can't go to church because there's hypocrites there, you know what always gets me? I just want to say to them, it seems to me that when you say the church is full of hypocrites, it's probably because you found out someone was a believer in Jesus Christ and you put them on a pedestal and when you realized they didn't deserve to be on the pedestal, you were disappointed and it messed up your point of view. And I don't want to say you shouldn't have put them on that pedestal in the first place. So don't give me this, oh, everyone's full of hypocrites. Yeah, we are. Because no one in here is perfect. No one in here is, is living this sin-free life. And that's what Paul is pointing out, that we are all sinners. So these Jews over here looking at the Gentiles, they're saying, you need to fix this. Come on, family. We do that now. They were saying, yeah, you're following Jesus Christ. Here's your next step. We do that all the time. We look at someone else and say, you, you met Jesus. Here's your next step. We shouldn't do that. All right, let's, let's read again. This time we're going to start in verse 11, and it brings us to the second point. And these words here, don't overlook the words because the, the verbiage here is important. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision by as made in the flesh by hands. Remember, here it is, look at these words. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Separated, alienated, strangers, no hope. Why is that in there? Because it's a reminder for the grace to the outcast. 
I believe churches are really good at saying we, we want to reach the lost, aren't we? We're really good at that. It's really good and easy to say we want to reach the lost. We want to reach those who are searching. But we need to start thinking about those words in a very clear manner. Separated, alienated, outcast, no hope. There are important words there. Why? Because I, like many of you, I like coming to church. And I, like to know, I like to know what to expect. I like my, my order. I like my system. I like to know where I'm going to sit. I like to know who's going to be here. And see, everyone always says the same thing. Oh, I, I like change up until we change something they like. See, when we're talking about this grace to the outcast, I believe oftentimes we forget what that really means. And Paul is reminding this church and the Ephesians here, he's reminding them that, hey, who you're dealing with is alienated. They're outcasts. They feel like they have no hope. I, I love, I don't know if anyone else is like this, I love shows about prisons, like the real shows, not, not like some weird reality television. But I like the, the television shows and the documentaries dealing with the prisons and the, the uh, systems we have in place. And one thing I've, I've noticed is typically, especially when you start getting in the maximum security prisons, when you deal with the individuals on the, uh, the death row, the, the ones that, that know they have, they have exhausted all of their avenues, their crimes are so severe that the courts have said, you're going to lose your life for these crimes. It's always interested me because the, the guards that typically run and work in the death row systems are the best. They have the most experience. They have the time uh, they know what is going on. Why? Because they said the same thing. When you deal with inmates who have exhausted all of their avenues and they know the end of their life is coming, they have no hope. And when you deal with people who have no hope, it makes them unpredictable. When there's nothing else left for them, they know that nothing else can change. When it's their, their sentence for death is already coming, what do they have to lose? And so they take these really good prison guards and they put them there because they know these people in those, in those places there are completely without hope. And without that hope, they are unpredictable. Sometimes they lash out. Sometimes they're violent. Baby, I'm going to tell you something. You ready for it? I believe that we are very similar to these prison guards. We are dealing in a world of people that feel alienated. They feel like they have no hope. They feel like they have no family. And I believe people lash out, and sometimes they're dangerous. And I believe sometimes people are violent when they feel like they have no hope. Family, that means that we're going to be dealing with violent, hurting individuals, and we have to be cautious. We've got to protect ourselves. And we have to make sure that, that when we look at them, we understand that sometimes when they're lashing out and sometimes when they're, they're doing things that we say, that doesn't make any sense, it's because they feel like they have no hope. So we can't be too hard on them because Paul was reminding us here, hey, they're outcasts, they're alienated, they're strangers, they're missing something. It's just a warning. That's why I like First Christian Church so much. That's part of the reason I've, I've stayed here even when other places want me to come is, is First Christian Church is really good at understanding this and especially with the teenagers. See, in the, in the teenage group back there, a lot of these kids come in and their parents don't go to church, their grandparents don't go to church and so they come in and they've been invited by a friend so they, they look at this, this building here is essentially basically like a school. 
They don't think that if they, if they do any damage that it's someone's tide that's going to have to fix it. They don't see that. They don't see our, our, little, our little senior citizens out here on Monday morning on the grass picking up the balloon pieces they, they popped. They don't see it. They simply look at it as a school. And what, what do kids do at school? They ride on walls. They break the equipment. They, they destroy things. It is what it is. So they come here and, and they, they essentially lash out in the same way because it, they're they're outcasts. They're strangers. They're strangers to this church. And it's really cool because First Christian Church, for all the damage, all the destruction, all the poked walls, all the balloons, all the, man, we had like cheese sauce spilled in our, our van that we had to scrub out. All this nonsense is happening. First Christian Church is really good at not getting grumpy. They go, hey, you know what? They're, they're, just, they're just people and they're, they're, getting to, they're getting to meet Jesus. And when we bring them into the family, they start to see that there is hope. They're not alone. They're not strangers. They're not alien. And we see that, then we start seeing a change because now they have something to live for. Family, this is our mission. It's our mission to reach unpredictable people who feel like they don't have hope. And that's what Paul's reminding this, this body of believers too. He's saying, hey, they're unpredictable. They do things that we don't expect. They might do things that we don't appreciate. But they're doing that because they're strangers. They're alienated. They're without hope. They need something. They need us. They need our family. All right, let's read it one more time. And this time you can close the Bible after we're done. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinance that he might create in himself one new, one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we, have, we both have access to one spirit, to the Father, so that you are no longer strangers and no longer aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place by God, for God by the Spirit. It brings us, brings us to the very last point here, and that's, that's simply this. It's, it's misunderstanding grace. Is it weird to you, like it was me, that it almost seems like in the middle of Paul's rant about dealing with the Jews and the Gentiles, the circumcised, the uncircumcised, the lost without hope, is it almost like right in the middle he switches direction and he jumps up on his soapbox and really starts lecturing in a different direction? Like why in the world is he doing this? He's already talking to the body of believers, and then he, he switches and he starts talking about how you're saved by grace. You were once here, you're here, here, you've been bought and paid for, you're being built into something else. It's almost like he has this drastic shift, and it's, I believe it's because he is pointing out the same thing that we are dealing with now. I believe there are believers and non-believers alike who have a drastic misunderstanding of what grace is. 1966, a poem was written. Um, it was kind of a popular one. But you might know it because they put music to it, but let me, let me read you the, the words of this poem. Eleanor Rigby, 
picks up the rice in the church where a wedding has been, lives in a dream, waits at the window, wearing the face that she keeps in a jar by the door. Who is it for? All the lonely people. Where do they all come from? All the lonely people. Where do they all belong? Father McKenzie writing the words of a sermon that no one will hear. No one comes near. Look at him working, darning his socks in the night when there's nobody there. What does he care? All the lonely people. Where do they all come from? All the lonely people. Where do they all belong? Oh, look at all the lonely people. Ah, look at all the lonely people. Eleanor Rigby died in the church and was buried along with her name. Nobody came. Father McKenzie wiping the dirt from his hands as he walks from the grave. No one was saved. All the lonely people. Where do they all come from? All the lonely people. Where do they all belong? These words have been popping through my head all week. Aaron sat down this morning. She says, that's why you've been singing that Eleanor Rigby song all morning. I said, this song has been running through my head. And I look at this passage, and I, I know it's, it's a common poem that a lot of us have heard and talking about all these lonely people. And I, I, think it's, I think of that all the time when I stand in church. I look around and think, man, all these people, all the, all the people, and, they, and I think so many of them, they misunderstand what grace is. There are so many Christians, believers, non-believers, faithful, unfaithful, and they are walking around thinking they are not good enough. They are thinking there's Christians thinking, I'm not reaching enough people. There are believers who think, I'm not a good enough believer. There are believers right now walking around saying, I don't have the right words to tell anyone else about Jesus. There are believers that are walking around saying, my scripture knowledge is lacking, I'm just not there. There are believers and non-believers around right now walking around thinking they have too many problems. They just have too much baggage. I'm going I'm to tell you a secret here. You ready for it? This is deep. You're right. You're right. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You don't have the right words. You have too many problems. Too much baggage. But not with grace. Not with grace. See, with grace, all these things we can say, yeah, I'm not good enough. But with grace, we can, we say we are. Why? Because you can't earn grace. See, people ask what we do in our Sunday night. And for the last six or seven weeks in our Sunday night program with our kids, we've been talking about this idea, and, and you guys, us, everyone, we struggle with this as much as our teenagers do. See, we, we have been mixing in religious beliefs in our Christianity. We sprinkle in different beliefs, and, and one of the big ones, and I know almost everyone here knows it, is simply karma. You know what karma is. If you do good things, good things happen. Do bad things, bad things happen. And the problem is, is, is we take that idea and we sprinkle it into our, our Christianity belief, and here's what happens. We say, okay, if we do good things, good things are going to happen back, right? That's karma. But we, start, we actually start believing that's part of Christianity. And then when good things don't start happening in our life, we go, God's not blessing me. That means I'm not doing enough good. i got to do more. And so we do more good things. And then when God's not, not seeing that, and he's not blessing us like we think we've earned, we go, i got to do more. And then when we do more and it doesn't get reciprocated, you know what we do? We say we're not good enough. And we start backing out and start quitting. I'm going to tell you right now, none of this stuff is earned. 
Grace is not earned. You will never be good enough. You will never do enough good things. It does not work that way. There is no way you can outdo the wrong with the right. It just doesn't work. That's what we, we deal with. And see, when we look at this passage, Paul is so clearly reminding them that Jesus came, Jesus died, and we are being built into that, that church, that body of believers. That is not something that you can earn. That is something you receive. And you can only receive that through Jesus Christ. Another problem we have in churches, and I, I wonder if, if Paul was thinking of this, is oftentimes, see, we, we say we understand what grace is. We say that, and we say, okay, God loves me, not because I've earned it, but because he created me, and, and he wants me to be part of him. That makes sense, right? But then we look at someone else, and we say, but that person has to earn my grace. And we, we do that all the time in church family. We look at someone and say, you're not quite good enough to where I think you need to be. You need to work on this. And it's ironic here because I want to say, if you don't think you can earn God's grace, but you understand that it was given, what is going to happen when you don't give that stranger over here grace and you expect them to earn it? If you won't give someone else grace, how do you expect to give God to give you grace? I think, I think, Paul was sitting here in prison when he wrote these words, and he's thinking to himself, I'm locked up, I'm a different kind of jail, I understand. I am inhibited from doing what I want to do to a degree. And you're free, and you're worried about who has been snipped and who hasn't based on circumcision and uncircumcised. Oh, I bet Paul was saying, duh, there are bigger issues. There are bigger fish to fry. And family churches do the same thing. When we do not give grace to other people, we mess up what we could be doing. That's just, the, that's just the truth. See, churches are really good at getting bogged down in these real small nonsense arguments, these debates. And I want to say, family, there are people outside that are dying that have not heard Jesus Christ and we're bickering about the most tiny details in church. And that's what these people were doing right then, which is the same thing we are doing today. We get caught up in the most small, non-important details that we lose our focus. And so why do I think Paul, I, Paul put this? I, I believe, for the most part, grace is misunderstood by a drastic amount of believers. I believe there are a pile of believers out there that are walking around thinking that if they do more good, more good's going to happen to them. I believe there are a lot of believers outside this room right now, and they've got the same idea. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow God once I get my life in, in better order. Never going to work. There are people believing that they can do enough good in their lives to offset the bad in their lives. And I'm saying, family, the only way you can do that, the only way you can do that is through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is reminding them. Grace is not earned, grace is given, and grace should be given to other people. And so in here in First Christian Church and other churches, I'm going I'm to tell you the same thing. <clears throat> this might apply to you, it might not. And it might save you some drama, it might not. Are you ready for this? The person sitting beside you is a sinner. I know. The person sitting behind you, they're a sinner. 
definitely the person in front of you is a sinner. Grace is not earned, or is not earned, it is given. And grace should be given to others. And grace should be looked at in the same direction. I believe we'd have a drastically different church when we start looking at each other and saying, just like the prison guards, hey, that person's lashing out, but it's because they feel like there's no hope. And I'll let that rule right off my shoulder. It's no big deal. I got bigger things to worry about than what they're doing. There's people outside that need to hear about Jesus Christ. And as our band comes up to lead us in a song of decision, if you have not made a decision to accept the grace that is only given through Jesus Christ, I'm going to say today is the day. Come on up. We'll welcome you with open arms. Hey, if you're watching online and, and you want to make a decision for Jesus Christ, I'm going to say uh, get a hold of us. Um, church office is, is open Monday through Friday. Message us. Email us. We always, we always check it. We can work something out. Or if you need some prayers, you want some prayers, you can come on down. Uh, no judgment. Uh, we'll pray with you. If you're online, you want some prayers, put that on your connection card. Uh, if it's confidential, please mark it. If you're a baptized believer, you like First Christian Church, and you want to be part of our family, hey, uh, come on down. We'll welcome you with open arms. Let's stand as we get ready to sing. So come, Lord.
missing a slide I think I am go up one more slide apparently I am sorry you probably heard me say this before and if you have you're going to have to bear with me again as we get ready for our communion one of my favorite memories I'm going to take with me from this church forever and if, if you've been at this church for a long time I bet this applied to you We've got this fridge in the back back there and our teams come in Saturday and they make our communion and so it's stored back there that way everything's nice and cool but years and years ago they would put coffee back there in that fridge and it, you, might, you might remember this remember we take communion and it tasted like coffee and the church was divided it was like 50-50 half you'd be like oh man that communion was so good it tasted like coffee and I'm like that was the worst communion I've ever had in my entire life it's so gross but it always made me laugh because even us coffee haters who would have that grape juice and it tasted like that bitter coffee, we would still line up, we would still take communion, and we'd get that puckered up look on our face, and we still had it. Why? Because we knew how important communion was. That even when it wasn't perfect, even when it wasn't exactly what we expected it to be, we knew that when we had that cup and that juice, and we sat quietly and we bowed our heads, 
we were remembering the fact that Jesus gave his life up for us, and he told his disciples the same thing. You do this in remembrance of me. And so we're going we're gonna to do that. Good flavor, good flavor communion, bad flavor communion. We're going to get together as a body of believers. We're going to take that juice. We're going to take that, that little cracker, and we're going to say, I remember you dying for me, Jesus, and I won't ever forget. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for loving me. Uh, thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving the church. Lord, most importantly, thank you for what was taking place on that cross. Thank you for showing us what real love is. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to say, I want to be with you forever in heaven. Thank you. Jesus, I pray. Amen. got your bulletins with us you'll you'll see a list of our announcements and i'm gonna gonna tell you the same thing i told first service i have been i have been chuckling to myself all afternoon since jeff is not here i wanted to announce a surprise and incredibly important leadership meeting executive session at 3 30 so when jeff hears about it and hears there's a leadership meeting without him he would panic and i have been chuckling to myself wanting to do that and i can't makes me happy every time i think about him worried about us having a meeting without him but I won't, I won't, uh, but our normal things are going on this week. Uh, we've got our usual activities this week. We've got Stitches of Love, our Sunday night activities. We've got our Bible studies. Uh, Al Brandon's Life Group is going on on Thursday. There is something different on next Sunday at 1220. Al Brandon's having a meeting uh, with the, uh, the men's ministry team. It's there. Otherwise, you'll see a list of other things. Operation Christmas Child, what they're collecting, soaps, combs, lip balm, dental floss, toothbrushes. That's May. Uh, of course, the spa coming up, you'll, you'll see the announcement in there. It's all, it's all there. You can check it out. 
but on the back side of your bulletin, you'll see a, a prayers and praise concerns. Ken Martin made a little note and a thank you. He's home now, recovering. He thanks you for your prayers and continued prayers. And of course, our, our special concerns are our, our country, what's going on in the world. It was nice. A few of our, our health concerns are in first and second service today. Keep, keep them in your prayers. Of course, our deployed troops, keep praying for them. Uh, our shut-ins, like always. Um, the outreach we've been focusing on this month is Peach's Pantry. Uh, they are looking for a new building. Um, we know how difficult that is, so, so be in prayer for that and, and see what they can do. And of course, our mission that we're focusing on is Southern Mexico Mission. So what we'll do is we'll, we'll stand. Uh, we'll have a few minutes of, of quiet. We're going to pray, and we're going to step out of this building. We're going to be ready to find someone that needs to hear about Jesus, and we're going to tell them about it. Let's, so let's stand. Lord, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you, more importantly, for caring about our prayers. Lord, thank you for understanding our hurts, our sorrows, our worries, our fears, the ups and downs. Thank you for just, just being there. Lord, I ask you for uh, continued responses to that and, and, and just the ability to look, look to you through the ups and downs in life. Father, I am, I'm going to ask, please, that when we step out of this room as a body of believers, that we are not cowards that we are bold and we're brave and that we, we reach the world for you because there are people that need to hear about you. Lord, I ask if it's your will, will you put someone in our path this week, at least one person, and, and let us tell them about you. God, I ask as we step out of this building, will you keep us safe, will you keep us whole? God, will you allow us to continue to see your blessings? In Jesus' name I pray, amen.